This is a conspiracy channel. Tape one of the first creation story. Welcome to the Hush channel. Before we get into it, here is a necessary three-minute backstory. Mesopotamia occupies the region of present-day Iraq, western Iran, northern Kuwait, east Syria, and southeast Turkey. It is the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, a river valley civilization that was a land inside of what is known today as the Fertile Crescent. Mesopotamia originally was composed of Sumeria, which became Babylon, the Assyrian Empire, and the Akkadian Empire. These Mesopotamian creation and flood narratives are the oldest known creation and flood stories on the planet. Sumeria is known as the world's first civilization and the cradle of civilization after the Great Flood, which is known as Noah's Flood. Sumer was located in the historical region of southern Mesopotamia in what is today South Iraq, the area that ranges from Baghdad to the Persian Gulf. In the Bible, Sumeria is called Shinar, the place Nimrod led the generations of Noah following the flood's ending, which is mentioned in Genesis 11 and 2. The Sumerians are credited to have an invented a wide range of technology of which we still use to this day such as the wheel, chariots, sailboats, weaponry, agricultural tools, the cuneiform writing system, the number system, the calendar system, arithmetic, geometry, irrigation, beer, board games, soap, monarchy, and best of all they were masters in astrology and astronomy. Today, many people actually mock those who involve themselves in the intertwinings of astrology and astronomy. But along with prostitution, the knowledge of the universe is one of the oldest professions. After all, just who do you think these wise men that the great age-old kings had beside them were? They were men who kept the knowledge of astrology and astronomy. There are quite a few narratives deriving from the different regions of Mesopotamia. There's the Sumerian, the Akkadian, Babylonian, and the Syrian versions, and they parallel except for a few minor details. Of course, the oldest version of these narratives come from the Sumerians. It is called the Eridu Genesis. The Sumerians branched off and filled in the rest of Mesopotamia. Meanwhile, one sect went west and settled ancient Kemet, which is now called Egypt. The other sect went east and settled the Indus River Valley civilization, which became South Asia. And another sect that went east from Sumer settled the Yellow River Valley civilization, which is ancient China's Shang civilization. All four of these places are horizontal to each other and our river valley civilizations and collectively known as the cradles of civilization that all had parallel ancient polytheistic belief systems. These civilizations birthed the nations that surround them today. And of course, these child civilizations echoed the culture and belief system of their parent. I will be using the Sumerian Aredo Genesis, the Babylonian Enuma Elish, the Akkadian Epic of Atrahasis, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Epic of Nenlo and Enlil, and Enki and the World Order. I have smashed these narratives together to attempt to present you with a more cohesive story. This is the first creation story. In the beginning, there was Namu, the primeval sea who gave birth to the heavens and the earth. Namu had given birth to a son and a daughter. Anu, her son, reigned over the heavens, became a divine king and father of the heavens. And Ki, her daughter, became the mother of the earth, the supreme fertility and birth goddess, and went on later to become the mother of all the gods. Namu and Anu would give birth to a son, Enki. As the son of Namu, Enki inherited her water qualities and assumed 
owned many of her characteristics and her domain of the void, making Enki the prince of the void, of which is called the abyss, the deep waters, the underworld, or hell in modern day. But was simply originally a domain without any negative connotation. Enki is the prince of the underworld. These relations are incestuous, but it appears that these beings do not view familial relations as humans do today, but more so the way that our oldest ancestors as well as the old families that still exist did and do. For good reason, this is the oldest known and found creation story. It would have served as a blueprint of the people of that day, and more prestigious old families of our time would still be holding on to these same values. With that being said, when reading other creation stories from other locations, they assimilate the gods' names, depictions, and locations in their stories to fit their culture. Since we do not know if this is the oldest creation story ever, or whether it's just the oldest creation story that we have found, it is also safe to assume that it taking place in Mesopotamia is just an assimilation. Anu would have another son, but with Ki this time, and this son was named Enlil. When Enlil was born, he separated Anu from Ki, and as a lord and prince, took the domain that dwelled between Anu and Ki, which was the heir, crowning him as the prince and the lord of the heir. But Anu gave Enlil dominance over the earth and the other children that were birthed by Ki and Namu, known collectively today as the Anunnaki, a compilation of Anu and Ki's name. With the ultimate domain and authority over the earth and the other Anunnaki who resided on earth, Enlil was not only the prince and the lord of the heir, but also the prince and the lord of the earth. Enki and Enlil are brothers. They have the same father, Anu, but Enlil's mother is Ki, and Enki's mother is the prime evil C, the first being in existence. Long ago, before humans roamed the earth, the lesser gods known as the Ajiji bore the brunt of the work, doing all the heavy laborious tasks that needed to be done. The Ajiji were tasked with cultivating the earth to prepare it for sowing, planting, and digging canals for water to feed the earth. They were to make earth habitable and homely. In some texts, the Ajiji are the children of Enlil. In other texts, they are simply lesser gods. It is possible that they are both lesser gods and children of Enlil. The Ajiji come in all shapes and sizes, different species of them. Some of them are the greys, which are the big-headed grey aliens that we know of today. But still yet, a lot of them bear not even the slightest resemblance to the greys and are not of the same species. After working for a while, the Ajiji were not happy. They became miserable and constantly complained to the higher Anuna gods. The Ajiji cried that their work was heavy and troublesome. The higher ruling Anunnaki gods that controlled the Ajiji gods at that time were King Anu, Enlil, Enlil's son Ninurta, and Anugi, who was the controller of the canals. The gods decided to rearrange the management positions on earth in order to properly divide up all the lands and ruling positions between Anu's sons. They did this by drawing lots, which is a process of making a random selection. In Sumerian mythology, a me, M-E, is one of the decrees of the Anunnaki that is foundational to the foundation of the social institutions, religious practices, technology, behavior, social norms, and human civilization that make up civilization. The Mees are fundamental to mankind's understanding of the relationship between humanity and the gods. For example, one of Enlil's Mees was being the superior Anunnaki authority on earth. The way this translates to humanity later on is that Enlil is the god of gods and the lord of lords as he was over all the Anunnaki of whom humans would later call 
gods and lords. Another example is that Enlil was given precedence over the skies and was considered by humans the god of storms, weather, and agriculture. These are Medes. The Medes were originally collected by Enlil and then handed over to the guardianship of Enki. And Enki would disperse these Medes to the various Anunnaki in the different lands on earth. This action is described in the poem Enki and the World Order, which details how Enki hands out responsibility for various crafts and natural phenomena to the Anunnaki, basically handing out jobs and roles to the different gods telling them what they were going to be the god of and over. So after the gods properly divided the earth amongst themselves, Anu returned to his home in outer space, the heavens. The Anunnaki who had ordinances over the different divisions of the lands on earth are what we in religion would call principality angels. Principality angels are the angels that guide and protect specific nations, groups, people, and or institutions. And Lil was still the leader who had authority over all the earth despite the fact that he too drew a lot and was assigned to a specific plot of land as well. Meanwhile, control of Central and Lower Africa, as well as the sea and fresh waters amongst the earth, was innately inherited by Enlil's wise half-brother Enki, known by the other Anunnaki as the Farsighted One. Enki being called the Farsighted One plays into a lot of occultism, with the Illuminati Eye and the Eye of Horus, as Enki was Osiris and Horus in ancient Kemet. Enki was born with this water domain because he assumes the responsibilities and domain of his mother, Nam who was the prime evil seed and the first being. It is said that Enki, Namu, Ki, and a variety of beings subservient to Enki called Chthonic beings, which are underworld entities, had always dwelt in the deep waters. So Enki did not obtain his water domain by drawing lots. He inherently always had it as Namu's son. This is why Enki is referred to as the god of the sea and the abyss, which is the underworld, because the deep waters is another phrase for the abyss, and the abyss is another term for the underworld, hell, chaos, and the void. For these purposes, it makes sense why Enki is depicted as a fish god. A merman. This is the reason why most UFOs become USOs or unidentified submerged objects. These entities never left Earth. The Anunnaki never left Earth. They still to this day go from outer space to the waters and vice versa. From the waters to outer space. Just research the stories of Vietnam vets and extraterrestrials and UFOs that they literally saw shoot out from the waters beneath them or dart from the air into the waters below them. Just think about the tales of mermaids that exist in culture spanning the entire world. Think about the different water entities and dragon reptilian like myths in general that span the entire world. And then wrap your mind around how only 5% of the ocean is explored and charted while 71% of earth is water and 96.5% of earth's water is in the oceans. You also have to keep in mind that Nama was a water entity. She is the mother of all the reptilians, all the dragons, meaning the reptilians are all variations of water creatures and they are able to sustain themselves while underwater without issue. If the Anunnaki never left and most of them are not walking amongst mankind in the form of mankind, where would they be able to comfortably reside on earth underwater? It is where humans naturally cannot exist due to our biology and our limited technology even in modern day. The Dogon of Mali in West Africa previously had contact with the Anunnaki and thus knew all about the Sirius star system
Dogon before modern technology allowed the rest of mankind to. The Dogon noted that the lizard people who visited them actually required a body of water to sustain themselves despite them being able to sustain and maintain themselves outside of water. This is why everything the Anunnaki created, which is every living thing on this planet, needs water to sustain itself because the source is water. The source is normal. Imagine Earth is inside of a dome and the floodgates of heaven are literal floodgates, literal mechanisms that keep the waters from seeping into the dome. Normal is the water that surrounds the earth, but this water is alive and not metaphorically. After the Anunna were given their knees, Anu departed and then the Anunnaki returned to the lower areas of the earth known as the Abzu. And it was there that these gods proceeded to overwork the poor Ajiji gods as they had done before. In the Abzu, the Ajiji were forced to dig canals to run water to barren areas of land. They raised mountains of soil and worked under the ground. Meanwhile, in Sumeria, the Ajiji there dug out the Tigris and Euphrates waterways. The Ajiji counted being overworked for 40 years day in and day out and they grumbled constantly amongst themselves about all the masses of soil that they had excavated. It is unclear here as to whether the correct translation in the text says 40 years or whether it says 40 years over the originally agreed time or if it says 3,600 years that the Ajiji were overworked. Now the Abzu is described as the lower lands or underworld. In this context mentioned, the Abzu is the land underneath the surface of the entirety of the earth. This is the area which in different literature is referred to as the underworld, chaos, the abyss, the hollows of the earth, the void, and hell. So in this section, already read, the Anuna gods return to their places all over the earth to oversee that the Ajiji tend to dig in canals all over the earth underneath its surface. But there are other contexts of which Abzu is used throughout these narratives. So I will explain briefly. Abzu also means the sentient sea. Only in the Babylonian narrative is the Abzu personified as an entity and the lover of Namu. Otherwise, the Abzu is detailed as a location in the other narratives. When Abzu is used to refer to a surface land location that Enki is in control of, this area is Africa, specifically Ethiopia. Not Ethiopia as it refers to Ethiopia's borders today, but Ethiopia of ancient times, which consisted of both the entire central and southern regions of Africa, as well as parts of northern Africa. This particular ancient Ethiopia that comprised of central Central and Southern Africa and parts of Northern Africa was actually called the Abyss. And this is the reason that this specific part of Africa was also once called Abyssinia, the land of the Abyss, of which foreigners believed demons resided. So you can imagine what the people who actually inhabited this land later were and still are thought of as. The Zulu people are an ethnic group indigenous to Southern Africa. And using the Sumerian lexicon dictionary, Zulu breaks down into two parts. Zu, which means wisdom or knowledge, and Lu, which refers to a man or men or people, in which Zulu in the Sumerian lexicon translates to intelligent people or wise people. Interesting name because Enki is the deity of wisdom, and that is his domain, his land domain. The Khoisan or San people are indigenous to South Africa, and their DNA traces back to as early as 260,000 years ago. Scientists have confirmed that human DNA places the origins of humanity in southern Africa, which lines up perfectly with what these narratives explain about Enki in relation to mankind as will be detailed later. The Khoisan are actually the oldest ethnic group on the entire planet, and the San people have serpent-like phenotypes. 
This is the same beautiful phenotype that the Sumerians themselves said Anki had. It is not mere coincidence that the Khoisan people have a similar belief system to that of the Mesopotamian creation narratives. It is also not a coincidence that the characteristics, abilities, and story of the supreme deity of a lot of that region parallel with Enki or have similar names to Enki such as Enkai, which is the supreme deity of the Maasai ethnic group who dwell in Kenya and Tanzania, which are countries inside of Africa. As far as the canals that Gigi dug, the Okavango Delta of Botswana is the actual remnants of the canals that the Gigi channeled in the lands of the Abzu. These canals remain to this very day with their ancient contours gouging to the earth as visible evidence. These ancient canals can be viewed on Google Earth running from the Okavango Delta in Botswana, Southern Africa, which once must have been an enormous inland lake or sea. There are over 150,000 islands in this delta and approximately 260,000 mammals and over 400 bird species can be found there, making it one of the most wildlife-rich areas in Africa. I will paste the longitude and latitude in the description so you can copy and paste it into Google and take a look at the Gigi's work for yourself. These canals all seem to end abruptly at where the boundary of the huge inland lake or sea must have once been and they would have been used to transport water to crops that were to feed possibly millions or even billions of a Gigi and later human workers. Obviously this abrupt end of construction ends because as the story follows the Gigi simply could not take it anymore and decided to go pay in little a visit to have a serious chat with him to see if he could make life a little easier for them. The orchestrator of the Gigi's uprising was one of the Anunnaki deities that was in charge of overseeing them. His name was Geshtu-e and Geshtu-e got the Ajiji enraged enough that they let out war cries to initiate a battle with the higher controlling Anunnaki, set fire to their tools, picks, spades, and work baskets and began to march to Enlil's home that night in protest around the great Akur where they even attempted to kidnap Enlil from his home. Geshtu-e had did something formidable. While the other Anunnaki sympathized with the Ajiji, they had a picking order and a structure that was respected. Boundaries that they did not cross and stayed within. They did not all do what Geshtu-e did because at the end of the day, Enlil had the final say-so. And if he ignored them, they also had to fall in line with that because Enlil was way more powerful. The Akira was the name of Enlil's mountain retreat. It is the garden and resting place of the gods. With the exception of Enki who dwells in the Abzu. Like how Zeus and the other gods dwelt in Mount Olympus and Hades dwelt in the underworld. This comes from this. In ancient Greece, the Akira is basically called Mount Olympus. Even though it is from ancient Greek mythology, nobody ever said that Mount Olympus was located in Greece. In other beliefs, the Great Akira is called Axis Mundi, the Cosmic Axis, the World Axis, or the World Pillar, the World Mountain, the Center of the World, the World Tree. The mountain of the gods at the center of which the very sun, moon, and stars revolve around. The mountain that is the epitome of yin and yang and as above so below. As the secrets of Enoch tell us of this beautiful world mountain that he was escorted to by an angel. And this beautiful place also possesses the entrance to the bottomless pit. A hollowed earth. Hell. It is feasible that the Gigi also dug out hollow earth and all of its honeycomb tunnels. After all, there were billions and billions and billions of them, digging non-stop day in and day out for potentially 
3,600 years. East and South Asian belief systems such as Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism call the Great World Mountain Sumeru or Mount Maru. And according to these belief systems, Mount Maru is the most beautiful place one's eyes can land on. It is adorned with precious crystal and jewels of all colors. It's always nice to take notes on what the Hindus believe because Hinduism is the oldest surviving religion in the world at over 4,000 years old. And Hinduism itself is a religion that formed from a compilation of even older belief systems smashed into one. So the Hindu Vedas, which are the oldest texts in Hinduism, these hold a lot of anti-Diluvian information that was thought to be lost and hidden. A lot of East Asian temples were actually structured in reference to Mount Maru in mind. Look at Angkor Wat, once a Hindu temple, now a Buddhist temple. It has five central towers to represent the five peaks of Mount Maru. Up until the 1700s, world maps did actually show a land in the North Pole named Mount Maru. It was said that there were four to six major world mountains, mountains where humans could go to speak and meet with their gods, the same way Moses had done when the Bible says he went to the top of Mount Sinai and disappeared into the clouds when he meant to meet God and stayed up there for 40 days and 40 nights in order to receive the Ten Commandments. I do want to know that the number that represents is 40. Mount Sinai is one of these sacred world mountains. According to legend, in the center of all these sacred world mountains is one major mountain, the most important and most sacred mountain, and that is the great Ikur. And Ikur is basically where all our alien gods dwell. And you know how when you look at the stories of people who have been abducted by UFOs, they often speak of how all the electronics start acting funny, and all the metal objects around them fly towards whatever direction the spaceship is act because of the spaceship's magnetic pull. Personally, I believe this magnetic pull of alien spacecraft is why compasses point north because that is where all our alien Anunnaki gods and their spaceships are at. The control center. The mothership at the center of our planet. This great world mountain. The great occur. It does seem there were lesser occurs that were not in the center of the world that were dedicated specifically to certain Anunnaki gods. Occurs that served as resting places for certain Anuna entities in the lands that they supervised. And these took the form of ziggurats, whose remnants can still be found scattered in the present-day countries of Mesopotamia. There are 32 known ziggurats, 28 in Iraq, and 4 in Iran. However, there are other structures that are simply called step pyramids that are kind of the same thing as ziggurats, or ziggurats being a type of step pyramid. And these step pyramids are located in Egypt, Nigeria, Sardinia, Europe, Mesoamerica, in areas where pre-Columbian civilizations such as the Mayans, Aztecs, and Toltec indigenous resided, in Illinois, in Cambodia, and Indonesia. Geshtu-e obviously sympathized with the Ajiji and had had enough of seeing them suffer and conjured up a plan to relieve the Ajiji of their sorrows. The problem had been, and would always be to this very day, that even if the higher Anunnaki sympathized with lower beings and disagreed with Enlil's actions and treatment of them, they would have to turn a blind eye to these things because they respect authority, organization, and roles. And Lil had ultimate control and the ultimate say-so. They all fell in line for the most part despite having their own personalities and doing things that sometimes would not align with Lil. They stayed within certain boundaries to outright side with the Ajiji and assist them 
with a rebellion, however, that was bold. The Njiji's uproar and protest woke Enlil from his slumber. He was actually sleeping. And Enlil's gatekeeper named Kalko had thankfully been able to lock the gate to prevent the Njiji from storming in and successfully kidnapping Enlil. When Enlil was awakened, he acted with haste and quickly organized for weapons to be brought to his home. Enlil was now panicking because of his own offspring. A servant of Enlil named Nusku noticed this and suggested that Enlil call King Anu and also sent a message to Enki asking for Enki to provide support for Enlil. This was done but still in the back of Enlil's mind he saw the revolt as the Gigi having the mere audacity to dare oppose him. Enlil is a tyrant of an authority figure and he is very short tempered and very black and white about everything and he also has a very huge ego and considers himself way too superior for the Gigi to even think to come complain to him let alone confront him. So Enlil sees this rebellion and instead of understanding that the Gigi have tried to do things the right way and they have tried making their pleas and cried out for help for a very long time before going on strike Enlil just feels like they have some nerve to rebel against him and he will not have it. He does not care. They should be thankful he even allowed them to exist, to wake up, to breathe. That is his stance. So what is the first thing that comes to Enlil's mind to solve this situation? Enlil decides it would be best to just kill every last one of the Ajiji. That would solve the problem. Which is a pretty harsh punishment considering in some narratives the Ajiji are actually the children of Enlil. So Enlil not only overworks his children but he ignores their cries for help. And once they overwork themselves for 40 to 3,600 plus years and finally decide enough is enough, instead of Enlil understanding his own kids and how things even got to this extreme point he figures he could do whatever he pleases to the Gigi because they are inferior to him. Enlil lacks the capacity to sympathize with his own kids. Enlil is toxic. Enlil lacks empathy and is literally the textbook definition of a narcissistic sociopath. And now these poor Gigi, their very own father wants to just simply kill all of them after all they have done for him. King Anu was a neutral personality in the grand scheme of things, unlike his son. Anu suggests that Enlil send Nusku to speak with the Ajiji to find out the reason that Ajiji was upset. He specifically instructs Nusku to go to the Ajiji and say to the Ajiji that their king, King Anu, and their warrior leader, Enlil, and their chief officer, Ninurta, and their bailiff, Enugi, wants to know who is in charge of this Ajiji mob and a declaration of war against Enlil by surrounding Enlil's home. New school does this and instead of the Ajiji singling out one individual they stood united and the Ajiji tell Nusku that every single one of them has declared war and they have put a stop to the digging because it is killing them. The work is too heavy, too hard and too much. So every single one of them had agreed to stop working and complain together in unison to Enlil. After Nusku reports this back to Enlil, Enlil gets so frustrated he told King Anu that he'd rather just leave Earth and return to outer space return to the heavens and leave Anu in charge to take control of the Ajiji situation. Then while still in a furry and temper tantrum, Enlil suggests Anu to call upon the Anunnaki troublemaker who was responsible for riling up and leading the Ajiji into rioting and making an example of him by killing the Anunnaki leader of the Ajiji in front of the others, meaning in front of the Ajiji and all the Anunnaki who was present. Anu however was actually annoyed by Enlil's behavior and abruptly 
asked him how he could actually blame the Ajiji when he knows how extremely difficult the Ajiji's work is and on top of that they all heard the Ajiji's cries of pain as they labored and they collectively declared to ignore them. Remember they respect the order of things so Anu gave his son this domain, Earth. So despite how he felt about Enlil's actions, that is his son's business. He's letting him be his own being. Anu tells Enlil that in all fairness, the Ajiji have every single right to complain to their ruler and approach his home on top of that. Enlil, of course, was very unhappy with his father's comments to him. Enki, who had been standing aside deep in thought this entire time, finally spoke up and agreed with King Anu and then proceeded to ask Enlil why he would blame the Ajiji when it is obvious they are overworked and that they all did in fact know the Ajiji were overworked and crying out for help. But they all still collectively decided to ignore them and have the Ajiji continue to work. After all, if Enlil did not respond to the Ajiji's complaints, Enki and the other Anunnaki who supervised the Ajiji could not respond to the Ajiji's complaints either. Enki then tells Anu that he has a solution to the entire problem. The solution would be to call Ki, to ask Ki to assist him, Enki, in creating a mortal humanoid that can instead do the heavy labor that the Ajiji were complaining about. Remember, Ki is the sister of Enki and Lil Ananu, and Ki is also mother to the children for all three of these male entities. She is the birth goddess and considered Mother Earth. Her and Enlil together have previously created all the plants and animals on Earth. Our ancestors called these beings deities and gods and rightly so as they did create humans and are so technologically advanced. Why wouldn't our ancestors see them as gods, right? But this part right here is where you need to understand that these entities come from somewhere that is not Earth and decide to settle on Earth and claim it as one of their own planets. So they are aliens. The heavens is just another term for outer space. Angels are beings from the heavens and aliens are beings from outer space. These terms are interchangeable. It is all semantics, perspective, and programming. Though Enki was considered the deity of the underworld, the deep waters, civilization, wisdom, fresh water, crafts, magic, exorcism, healing, virility, sex, fertility, art, trickery, mischief, and creation. Through this narrative, you will find out just why he was coined as the deity of all these things. End of tape one.